So if you're, if you're joining us, uh, if, you're, if you've just kind of joined us this morning for the first time or, or you're new over the past couple weeks, we're, we've just recently begun a series called The Drama of Redemption in which we're taking 52 weeks to walk through the entire Bible. And as we're doing that, so far we, we've looked at the question of who is this God that has created everything? And we looked in Genesis 1 and 2 and we saw God's original normal. God's original plan for what it looked like to have unbroken fellowship with him. But we also saw how very quickly in Genesis chapter 3, this was shattered by the entrance of sin when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God's good commands. And from there... Uh, A couple weeks ago, our good friend Brad O'Brien came in. Brad's planting a church in Baltimore next year, and and by the grace of God, I hope that some of you sitting here today will give your lives to go and join them for the sake of the city of Baltimore. And Brad did us a great favor, and he took some very big steps for us, and he took us through Genesis chapter 4 through 11, and we looked at how quickly wickedness and evil and sin spread through the hearts of of men. But we also saw that God had not forgotten his promise that he made in Genesis chapter 3 that sin and death would not be the final victors. And then last week, Pastor Robert introduced us to Abram and the amazing grace of God to come and call Abram to himself not based on Abram's merit, not because he was a great guy and a God worshiper and, you know, had his act together, but simply because of the greatness of God, he just came and chose him. And he said and he gave him this gracious promise that he was going to make his name great and that he would make him into a great nation. And then he clarifies why. He's going to make Abram a great name and a great nation so that Abram would be a blessing. The grace of God was not to terminate on Abram. Rather, God was being gracious to him so that in chapter 12, verse 3, it says that in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you hear the heart of our God for the good news to go to all the ends of the earth? Do you hear him calling you to take it? Today we're going to finish our time in Genesis, uh, looking at the men known as the patriarchs, namely Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And, And this week we're going to specifically focus on God's faithfulness to his promise. We're going to look at God's faithfulness to his word and how if God is going to use these men to bless all the families of the earth, he will have to work on them as he works through them. And here's how I'm going to approach things this morning, and it's a little bit different than how we normally do it here on a Sunday morning. Uh, So if this is the last time that you hear me preach, it's because it did not meet the approval of the elders. Um, But I have 38 chapters to cover today. 
<laughs> that laugh was from everyone who has been at Redemption Hill for a while. Um, and as much as I've tried to take the advice and the outlines and the styles of Raymond and Robert and Chris and, and other people that I've talked to throughout the week, um, I can really only do this my way. And so I have learned, and I, I learned a lesson that was tremendously helpful uh, several years ago that God has not called me to make to tell amazing stories like Robert. He hasn't called me to give three crystal clear points like Raymond, and he hasn't called me to preach heart-wrenching, soul-searching sermons like Chris. He's called me to be faithful. He's called you to be faithful, to be you. And so today, I want to do, this is, this is just what I do, I just want to walk through our text this morning, and with 38 chapters, there's no way that I can do it in one message. And so, I'm going to do it in two. And you're getting part two. So if anybody wants to hop back to the first service, you can hear the first one. Um, This morning in the first service, I covered the life of Abraham. And with you this morning, I'm going to cover the life of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And if you want to, you can go to redemptionhill.org later on today. You can download the, the sermon from the first morning, uh, from the first service. But I want to encourage you, the, the thesis of the message and the point that we're going to take away from the life of the patriarchs, whether it's what I said this morning in the first service, it's the same thing that I'm going to say in this service. We're just covering different ground, and that is God is faithful to his word. And that as God is working through these men to bring about this blessing to all the peoples of the earth, as He's working through them, He's also working on them. And I hope and pray that it will be as encouraging to you as it has been to me to know that God will work through you as He works on you. So we're going to pick up this morning in Genesis chapter 23. I'm just going to walk through chapter by chapter. So if you want to have your Bible open, I'll, I'll reference some verses and you can just kind of peek down and, and, and we'll just go through the stories. We begin this morning in chapter 23 of Genesis and the death of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Abraham and Sarah had had a wild and crazy 50-year journey with God. And the result is that despite their shortcomings... God was faithful to his promise and his word, and he had given them a son through which he would work to fulfill his promise that he made to Abraham to make his name great, to make him into a great nation, and to bless all the families of the earth through him. And he did this constantly working on Abraham and Sarah as he worked through them. And in chapter 23, what we see is a a husband mourning for his wife as Sarah dies. And he finds a place for her burial, and he lays her to rest. And then in chapter 24, we see that Abraham has learned much in walking with God. He has learned that God is indeed a great God, and because of that, Abraham doesn't have to be in control. It's a lesson that took a long time for him to learn. But he trusts that God And he has learned that God will fulfill his faithful word and promise. 
And so Abraham has a situation on his hand because if God is going to make him into a great nation and to give him offspring as many as the stars in the sky and the sand of the land, if he's going to do that, his son Isaac needs something, and that is a wife. This is very basic. He's going to need a wife. But Abraham, instead of forcing the situation as he's done in the past, we pick up in chapter 20, ver- 24, verse 5, and he says, where the servant talking to Abraham, he says, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angels before you, and he and, and you shall take a wife for my son there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you are free from this oath of mine. He frees his servant from the oath that he made. And he's able to do this because only after a life of being reminded time and time again and shown time and time again that God will fulfill his promises, Abraham gets it. God will supply a wife for my son to fulfill his promises. We don't have to force it. If you go and she won't follow you, you're free from the oath because it's up to God to fulfill his promises. And so the servant goes, and God indeed does prosper his ways, and he brings him to Rebekah. And he sees, and she is indeed willing, and she comes back with him to marry Isaac. God faithfully provides what he has promised. And then chapter 25 announces the death of Abraham. And we now turn our attention to Isaac and Rebekah, and we see that God is faithful to his promise that he won't wait until Isaac and Rebekah are perfect to work through them. Let me say that again. He's faithful to his word and his promise, and he won't wait until Isaac and Rebekah are perfect to work through them. Rather, he works on them as he works through them, and I hope that that's encouraging to you this morning. In verse 20 of chapter 25, we read this. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramaean of Paden Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramaean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceded. Let's take a quick note here of God's faithfulness. See, he had promised Abraham to make him a great nation with offspring like the sand and like the stars. But Abraham, Abraham's wife was barren. He was, she was barren. Sarah was barren. And God waiting to fill the promise actually until the point where it says that, that Sarah was actually past the, the physical stage of being able to have children. God waited until what was impossible with man was possible only for God to show his faithfulness. Abraham's wife was barren. We read here that Rebekah, Isaac's wife, 
was barren. And later we'll read that um, Rachel, uh, Rachel was barren. And in all three cases, it's only Isaac that is recorded as actually praying for his wife. Of all the patriarchs whom God had promised to do something great for them, he's the only one who stopped and prayed to this God that he would grant a son. It seems that Abraham had been faithful to actually teach his son Isaac about this God who had brought him through life and that Isaac recognized the goodness and faithfulness of this God. And not only that, but Rebekah's response is one of faith too. It says in verse 22 that the children struggled within her. And she said, if it's thus, why, why is this happening to me? So she went to do what? She inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, God has a faithful promise, a faithful word here for Rebekah. Two nations are in your womb and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be, the, be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. God has given a faithful word and promise to Rebekah. And despite the tradition at the time of the firstborn being the blessed child, God has clearly spoken to Rebekah. And there's no doubt that Rebekah shared this word with her husband Isaac, that God had decreed an order to be changed. The older shall serve the younger. So the question is, what will Isaac do? Will he hear the promises, the good word of God, who has given him two sons, and will he bless the younger? Or will he forget the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises? Will he forget that the stories of his father Abraham? Will he forget the lessons that he, that Abraham had learned and had no doubt passed on to his son, that the thing that our God promises, our God will complete? Will he forget it? And then the story of Isaac is here interrupted in verse 29. And we see Isaac's sons, Esau and Jacob, are now grown up. Esau being the older and Jacob being the younger. And Esau, the firstborn, naturally, comes in from a hard day of work and he sees Jacob and, seeing, and, and Jacob sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity to take advantage of his brother and he offers to give his brother some food in exchange for his birthright. And then with little regard for the natural birthright that is his, that is Esau's as the firstborn, he agrees. And he sells his birthright for a cup of stew. It seems here that the stories of their grandfather Abraham, of this good and great God who faithfully fulfills his promises, his words had not made it to his grandsons. Jacob promised by God to receive the birthright of the firstborn, doesn't trust God's good and faithful word, but he plots and he plans his own way to obtain the blessing. 
God will need to work on Jacob as he works through him. But don't we all do that? Don't we all do that? God has promised us something great. God has promised us something by His good and faithful Word. But we want to find a way to do it on our own. God has said through His Son Jesus, He says, Come to Me. Take My yoke upon you, for My burden is easy For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But instead we say, if I can just make a little bit more money, if I can just get a better job, then life will be less burdensome. Then things will be easy. Do we hear the good and faithful word and promise of God in 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we say, if I confess my sins and then read my Bible for for like at least a week, every day, and if I uh, can just not lose my temper for an entire week, and if I can just, um, you know, do something nice to someone, if I can do all that, maybe, maybe, maybe God will overlook my sin, and I can be right with Him again. We're so quick to forget the good and faithful promises of God. And we replace them with our own plans and our own ways to accomplish His work. We need to hear God's promises and believe them. He said that Jacob was going to be greater than Esau. Jacob needed to trust in God's faithful word. God still has much work to do on Jacob, but he won't wait until he's perfect to work through him. In chapter 26, we turn our attention back to Isaac, and God in his mercy shows up and speaks to Isaac. In chapter, uh, verse 2 of chapter 26, it says this, And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but dwell in the land that I shall tell you. Sojourn in the land and I will be with you and will bless you. Does that sound familiar? For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. I will establish the oath I swore to Abraham, your father. God is reminding him of his faithfulness to his father, Abraham. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and I will give your offspring these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Like he did with his father Abraham, God is reminding Isaac that he is the great God who will complete the promise that he makes. Sadly, Despite this verbal reminder that God will multiply his offspring and fulfill his promises, 
to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Isaac repeats the very same mistake his father made. There's no doubt he had heard the story. And he goes and he tells the half-truth about his wife being his sister. And he ends up having a foreign king take her to be his wife. God has just promised him to be with him. He has promised by his good and faithful word that he will bless him and that he will make him into a great nation. But Isaac is afraid. He's afraid that if he goes into this town that they will kill him because of the beauty of his wife. And he fails to trust in, God, in the God who just promised to be with him. You've got to think that if God has said that your offspring will be like the stars of the sky, of the heavens, that you're going to need a wife. You're going to need a wife to work that out. But he gives his wife up to a pagan king because he was afraid. But as we said earlier, God is working on these men as he works through them. And ultimately, just like his father Abraham, God is faithful. And God does deliver Jacob and Rebekah. And then we see in chapter 20, at the end of chapter 26 that uh, Isaac's oldest son Esau, going against God's original normal, takes two wives. And the scripture notes in verse 35 that they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. This is setting the tone for the household. This is a home. The home of Rebekah and of Isaac is one of strife. And in chapter 27, it says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, to him and said, My son? And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old and I do not know the days of my death. Now then, take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I might eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Jacob's getting old and he's, he's fearing death now. And it leads him in his own passions and not God's promises to call his firstborn son naturally to call him to himself that he might bless him. But here's the problem. God's word, God's faithful promise was that Jacob was to be the blessed son. Not only that, not only that, but just legally, Esau had sold his birthright. So the promises of God said that it will be Jacob. And just legally, it should be Jacob. But Esau, not following the faithful word of God, seeks his own plans. We see, what we see is Jacob seeking to enact his own plans over and against God's. The Jacob who had trusted God and relied upon him to bless his barren wife and give him sons has forgotten God's faithfulness. 
and he seeks his own way. But his wife, Rebecca, is standing at the door listening, and she knows the promises of God. God spoke them to her. Jacob shall be the blessed one. And so she immediately devises a plan in which Jacob can trick Isaac and receive the blessing. And Jacob just willfully goes along with the plan. What a sad, sad picture this is. God has made a promise. God has given his good and faithful word that Jacob would be the one through whom he would continue his plan to bless the world, but Isaac and Esau are plotting to overturn it. And Rebekah and Jacob, in return, are plotting to take it by deceit. No one has stopped to look to the God of Abraham and to the great and faithful one and to let him lead and guide them. God indeed is faithful. He has so much more to work on them. But in his mercy and his grace towards them, he continues to work through them. Rebekah's plot prevails and Jacob receives the blessing from his father. When Esau enters in, later on in the chapter, Isaac realizes what's happened. And he says this in verse 33. Then Isaac trembled very violently. And he says, who, who was it then that hunted the game and brought it to me? I, I ate it before you came and, and I have blessed him. And then it hits him. Yes. And he shall be blessed. I believe that it's here where Isaac wakes up and comes face to face with God. He realizes that the God of Abraham, his father, has shown up and foiled his plot. God is stronger than Isaac. He's literally shaken to his core to where he trembles violently. He's shaken to his core and confesses in line with God's faithful word that Jacob shall indeed be blessed. It's so unbelievable that God would continue to work through these men and women and that he is faithful to work on them as he does it. Jacob does get the blessing that God has promised him in the womb, but now the family strife has intensified. And in verse 41, it says that now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of my mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the word of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. The spread of sin and the result of their actions in Esau has now led him to the point where his only comfort in life is that he will soon kill his brother. 
sin is serious. Rebecca and Isaac now send Jacob away for his protection. They send him to get a wife from their people, and we enter into chapter 28. And here, I believe we see uh, a truly beautiful picture of repentance. Isaac finally gets it. Shaken to his core by the revelation that God is so much stronger, that God has given a faithful word, and that the God of strength of Abraham will fulfill his word, Isaac finally gets it. God has worked on him and brought him to the place where he finally bows his stubborn, selfish heart before God, and he gives Jacob the blessing that he should have always given him. And in verse 3 of chapter 28, it says this, Isaac blessing Jacob, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a great people's May he give you the blessing of Abraham and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojourning that God gave to Abraham. Isaac gets it. God will accomplish his good and faithful word. So Jacob begins his journey, and God, as he has done with Abraham and Isaac, he graciously comes to Jacob, and he confirms his faithful promise with him. Listen to what God says here in verse 13. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and God, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. The promise, God's promise continues. And you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south, and you and your offspring, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Again, God is fixed firmly on his mission to bless the world. He has given a faithful word, and he will complete it. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. More clearly than he has with Abraham or than he has with Isaac, God clarifies in plain, crystal clear terms, I will do this. I will do this. But Jacob's response proves yet again that God is going to have to work on Jacob as he works through them. Because Jacob replies with a conditional statement when he says in verse 20, If God will be with me and keep me in the way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come to my father's house again in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Jacob doesn't get it yet. Let's be honest, neither do we. You ever prayed that prayer? God, if, if you do this, then I'll know. God, if you answer this question, if you show me this thing, if you just do this, then you shall be my God. 
were not too unlike Jacob. In chapter 29, Jacob arrives at his destination and he falls in love with Rachel. And here, the deceiver, Jacob, he's tricked his brother out of his birthright. He has uh, tricked his father. The deceiver becomes the deceived. And Laban, Rachel's father, tricks Jacob and gives him his daughter Leah in marriage, resulting in Jacob having to give 14 years of his life for the hand of Rachel in marriage. And in chapter 30, we see what I once heard someone refer to as the baby wars, where Jacob's family becomes many in number, having 11 children born to him. The last one of his time of sojourning being Rachel, the wife that he loved, being her firstborn, Joseph. And now, being warned by God, Jacob, or now Jacob tries to leave Laban. But Laban realizes something. Laban realizes that God is with Jacob. He realizes that all of his prosperity, everything that has come to him is tied up in the fact that God is faithful to his promises to Jacob. And so he deceives him again and tricks him into some more years of service. But finally in chapter 31, the Lord directs Jacob and he says it's time to go home. And so Jacob plans his escape and he recounts here in chapter 31 all the different ways that Laban had deceived him. But notice one small sentence here in verse 5 of chapter 31. Jacob says, But the God of my fathers has been with me. And all that God had done in His faithfulness, in His grace, and in His mercy, He's still just the God of my fathers. God is certainly working through Jacob. God is certainly being faithful to His promises. Even Laban realizes it. But God still has some work to do on Jacob. And so he takes, Jacob takes his family and his possessions and fleeing from Laban. And Laban finds out and he pursues hotly after him. But God intervenes on behalf of Jacob. God is faithful. And Laban ultimately relents, sending them on their way. And in chapter 32, Jacob's heading to his homeland and he's afraid. He's fearful. Remember, he had left 20 years ago. He had left because his deceitful actions had driven his brother to the point where the only comfort he had in life was knowing that he would murder his brother. But God had made a promise to Jacob, and God is faithful. But Jacob still hasn't fully grasped the greatness of this God and now fears returning. And then, I love this, chapter 32, verse 1, and it says, and the angels of God met him. I mean, come on. What, what, what more do you need? You've heard the voice of God. You've received his promises, his blessings. He's prospered you in a foreign land. He's protected you from the onslaught of Laban. You've seen visions, and now angels actually just show up. 
Like, come on. Do you not get it? Do you not believe it? And how about you? It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, that God has spoken to you. God has spoken to you through His Son, Jesus. Jesus has spoken. Will you believe God's good and faithful promises through His Son, Jesus? Or will you just look at Jacob and say, come on, man. Surely Jacob will finally rest his hope and trust in God who is great and faithful. And will surely do through Jacob what he said, right? But Jacob still fears. Is Esau greater and stronger than God and his faithful word and promises? Is Esau greater than God and his word and his faithful promises? What about you? Do your situations look greater than God's good and faithful promises? Do you think that your sin is so great that God can maybe forgive others, but surely He cannot forgive me? Is your sin greater than God's good and faithful promises? Jacob's about to get his last lesson from the great God of his fathers. Jacob prays in verse 9, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds, steadfast love, and the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For only with my staff I cross this Jordan. And now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. That he may come to attack me, the mothers with the children. And here he begins to take hold of God's good, faithful word. And he says, but you said, God, I will surely do you good and I will make your offspring as the sand of the seas, which cannot be numbered and multiplied. He prays to the God who can save him. He starts to get it. The God who has made this promise is faithful. And that night, Jacob, the man who had wrestled with men who had wrestled and stolen from his brother, who had wrestled and deceived his father, who had wrestled and been tricked and deceived by Laban. He now, the man who wrestled with other men is now wrestling with God. And as he encounters God in the night, God changes him. He gives him a new name, Israel. And he gives him a hip check, causing him to limp all the rest of his days. His meeting with God has changed him. Jacob gets it. And we see his response in chapter 23, or chapter 33. He lifted up his eyes. He lifted up his eyes. Having encountered God and seeing God's strength and his greatness, and that he must bend himself to God's faithful promises, he stands in front of his family. 
whereas before, earlier in the chapter, he had sent many gifts and waves before his brother. Now he gathers up his family and he says, follow me. God is indeed faithful and strong. He will surely keep his word. And he leads them out to meet Esau with his, Esau's 400 men. And it says in verse 4, but Esau. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. The faithfulness of God to his word. But do you hear the echo there? Do you hear another story or remember one where, where one lifts up his eyes and sees one far off and runs to embrace him and weeps at his return? Do you hear the echo of Luke 15? The brothers rejoice and reconcile and God continues his faithful promise. And in chapter 14, uh, chapter 34, uh, we see the recounting of the defiling of Jacob's daughter, Dina, and the horrible response of her two brothers who, without the command of God, go and massacre a city, returning evil for evil. And the result for these men, as you will see in chapter 49, is the blessing that they receive from their father, Jacob. And as you'll read in chapter 49, it is no blessing at all. And along with that, Jacob now points out that their family is now a marked family in the land because of the works of his sons. But God appears again in mercy and in kindness in chapter 35 and assures Jacob that he will continue to work through him as he works on him and that the promise of protection in the land, he calls him to return to Bethel, the place where he had first encountered him. And Jacob responds with what we see is an act of repentance. And in verse 2, it says this, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourself and change your garments. And let us rise to go to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. It is no longer the God of my fathers. He gets it. It is my God. God has worked on him, and he gets it. And so they gave Jacob all their foreign gods that they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And at Bethel, God again reiterates his faithful promise, and after this, we see that Rebekah dies in childbirth, bringing forth Jacob's 12th son, Benjamin. But of his sons, it's always been Joseph, his firstborn from Rebekah, that was his favored son. And we enter into chapter 37 and, begun, and, and begin to follow the life of Joseph. And I simply according to my clock here, do not have time to walk through the life of Joseph chapter by chapter. So I want to summarize his life this way. Jacob had a beloved son, Joseph. He sent 
his beloved son as a messenger to his children. The children despised the beloved son of the father, casting him into a pit and selling him for pieces of silver. The father had lost his beloved son, but God had a plan and a purpose for this great loss. For a great famine came over all the land, and because of the righteous life of faith and honor lived before God, God used the beloved son to store up grain, and as it records in Genesis 41, 57, that all the earth came to get this grain, grain that could be used to make life-giving bread. And then, in the end, Jacob learns some very good news. He learns that his beloved son, the one through whom God has saved the world, is alive. Do you hear the echo? Because there's another beloved son, one greater than Joseph. And this son is the one through whom all this drama of redemption is pointing. And his name is Jesus. And while Joseph only figuratively died, Jesus really died. And he did this so that as it says in 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God. God has made a promise to you. And if you respond in faith, believing in his faithful and good promise of the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation with him through Jesus' righteous life and death in your place for your sins, then he will bless you as he has blessed all the families of the earth with the blessing of Abraham, the very promised spirit of God. He will bring you back to the garden. He's not waiting for you to get your act together. He's not waiting for you to figure everything out. He's waiting for you to believe in his faithful and good word. And rest assured, as he did with the patriarchs, he will work through you Let me say that again. Rest assured that he will work through you. Some of you need to hear that because you don't believe it. He will work through you as he works on you. Let's pray. God, help us to hear your good and faithful word. In previous ages, you spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but now you have spoken finally and fully to us through your Son. God, help us to hear it. Lord, whether we're hearing it for the first time and you're granting us the grace and faith to believe, we've heard it a hundred times and we still don't get it. Help us to hear your faithful word. Help us to get it, Lord. 
Amen.